Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So the readings today are from Deuteronomy and then 1 Corinthians. Uh, We'll start with uh, Deuteronomy, um, of which is the sermon series we're currently in. And it is Deuteronomy chapter 1, 1 through 8. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, You can read from your own Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, 1 through 8. These are the words Moses spoke to all of Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophi, Tophel, sorry, Laban, Hezeroth, and Diazab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to all of the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, at Idri, that had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the lands of the Canaanites and to the Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates. See, I have given you all this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. The second reading comes from New Testament, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be adulterers, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. If we, sh- we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and w- in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And not, do not grumble as some of them did, and they, for they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. Amen. Here's Jacko. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am Simon Jackson. We've not met before, lead pastor here. Um, I'm affectionately known as Jacko uh, to lots of people. Um, But uh, it's nice to see you all this morning. And uh, yeah, I do really want to encourage you to stick around for our family meeting. Uh, It should be fun. Um, You know, 
I don't know if you've ever been to an annual general meeting that you could describe as fun before, but ours are, you know, I think they're exciting things to be part of as we look back and look forward. Um, we're going to play a couple of games at some stage during uh, the event, and there's a couple of prizes up for grabs. So if, that, if you haven't decided to come yet, just come now, right? Because it's going to be amazing. Uh, there you go. Um, I just thought really quickly, uh, before we uh, get into our message today, uh, we do have uh, a table at the back full of books, uh, which are all free, um, and uh, ranging from simple uh, kind of copies of the Gospel, Matthew and, uh, sorry, Mark and John's Gospel, you know, so if you're not a believer here today or you're inquiring about the Christian faith, that's a great place to start, just reading the Gospel and there'll be someone here, even myself, who'd be happy to read it with you. Uh, we sort of move across the table and it sort of goes, you know, if you just want to explore who Jesus is, find out what it, wants, you know, what it means to be a disciple, you can have a look at that. And then it moves into some other resources, which are, you know, sort of for more mature followers of Jesus as well. So all the results up the back are there for you to explore. One of them is this book uh, called The Moon is Always Round. Um, it's a picture book, uh, but it's, it's wonderful. Um, and I, I just want to, I'm not selling this, by the way, because it's free, um, but it's a wonderful book um, written by a Bible-believing guy named Jonathan Gibson, who's overseas. Um, in light of like, events that are happening around the world right now, uh, where Afghanistan uh, is just under serious threat and sort of falling apart before our eyes, people are running for their lives, um, Christians included, our brothers and sisters, uh, where things are not going great in places like Lebanon um, and just stuff in our own lives. Uh, this book, um, the idea of it basically is that the moon is always round, right? Um, it's never not round, but sometimes we can't see all of its roundness. And the idea, the premise of this book is, even though we can't see and understand absolutely everything that's going on in the world, we know that the moon is always round, God is always good, and he's always faithful. That's what it's sort of picking up on. And uh, it's based on uh, Jonathan's own story. Um, so his wife lost a baby, um, and it was sort of telling the story through his son's eyes of how his, how his son navigated that sort of moment in his life. Um, so it's, I can't, I cry every time I read this book uh, to my kids, and they look at me and Dad, they go, what, Dad, what's going on? Um, one of our kids is particularly sensitive, so he's crying before me. Um, but um, anyway, I can just recommend that to you. Um, there's some copies of the back. Maybe you know someone who would like to read it. Um, I can thoroughly in, endorse this book as a great gift to give um, to anyone. Um, who's not just going through hard times, but just wants that encouragement from God's word, that God is always good and faithful, um, even though sometimes we just don't feel it. We can know it, yeah? Um, other thing to say on that note is it's really good to see Kim Ridley here today and Josh, who are about to have a baby, right? Um, like right now in the service, no. Um, uh, maybe not quite, um, I'm assuming if they do happen to just leave quickly, um, we know why. Either I've deeply offended them with what I'm about to say, or the baby is coming. But um, it's really exciting, hey, that um, that is imminent. Yeah, and that's really exciting. So, um, yeah, how about we pray, uh, get into God's word, and uh, see what he has for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the good things you give us. Uh, Father, we thank you and praise you for... Uh, the way that you are indeed in control, even though we feel often in our lives that 
Um, We don't feel that, we can't sense that. We know that it's true, that you are faithful and good always. Um, Father, we, yeah, we just, um, after the week that's been, we we commit uh, and and ask for your hand to be upon the nations of Afghanistan and and Lebanon, uh, particularly Afghanistan, um, in light of uh, the Taliban taking control again and the bombings and the loss of life and the injuries. Father, we continue to pray uh, that, yeah, you would help those who need to evacuate and flee find refuge. Father, we pray, uh, Lord, that uh, you would cause those who are causing violence um, and hurting people, cause them to stop, Lord, to meet Jesus, lay down their weapons. Uh, Father, we pray um, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan in particular as they are scared. Help them to stand firm, Father to trust in your promises, even though they probably can't see many of them right now, we pray. But help them, Father, to stand firm and and may their courage under fire cause us to be courageous as we live in this place. And now, Father, we pray, would you speak to us as we turn to your word? Father, we've sung already this morning of your greatness and your faithfulness and your goodness. Father, Please, as we look at your word and in light of what we've sung, drive the truth of your greatness, your faithfulness and your goodness deep into our hearts, our souls, even to our bones today, we pray, that we would trust and obey you. Uh, Father, love and serve you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those who are running the slides, aka Kevin, we're just going to jump through the first few. So... Just follow along with me. It'll make sense, yeah? Um, um, Some of us will know already, and some of us will discover in time that marriage is a wonderful blessing, but it's also quite hard work. It's both, often, a blessing and it's hard work. Um, On your wedding day, uh, you turn up, that's always a good thing to do, right? Turn up to your wedding day, um, and and you say to your spouse, I will be there, I'll be there. Uh, You know, do you take this man, this woman to be your lawful wedded wife or husband uh, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do you part? And, you know, ideally both parties go, I will, I'll be there, I'll love you. I will love you today, I'll love you into the future. One month, one year, five years, 10 years, 25 years, whatever it might be. And it's quite easy on your wedding day to sort of say, I'll be there, right? You know, you feel great. The person you're marrying looks amazing. You know, the mood's optimistic, it's it's very enjoyable. And it's quite easy at that moment to say, I love you. Then you go on your honeymoon and that's normally quite good. And then you come back home and you have to start. On Monday, you remember that you promised to love your spouse. Okay, I'll love you. You're quite annoying. You're a little bit grumpy today. I'm tired, but I will love you. Yes, that's right. I said I would love you. Then on Tuesday, you're even grumpier today. You're even more annoying. I'll love you because I've committed to love you. I I will love you. 
I'll love you in the way that we talk to one another, in showing patience, in serving you in different ways. I will think about the best way of going about loving you and I'll discern over time the things you like and the things you dislike and I'll try to do them. I'll love you. On your wedding day, right, you promise to love your spouse from this day forth forevermore. Not perfectly, no one ever loves their spouse perfectly, but as an orientation in life, as a disposition in life, the default setting is, I know I'll go wrong at times, but I'm going to try, I'm going to love you. The book of Deuteronomy, which I hope you have open in front of you at chapter 1, is a call to love the Lord from this day forth and forevermore. I love him. On Monday you say, yes, I've resolved to love you. I'm finding it a bit challenging to love you, but I will. And on Tuesday, I resolve to love you. I will do that. Even in the small details, I will love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind and my strength. I'll love you in response to who you are and all that you've done for me and all your promises. I'll love you with very practical obedience. I'll love you in all the details of life. And I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but Deuteronomy is quite detailed. As Israel is told how to love God when they're building their houses, how they eat their food and all these sorts of things, we'll get there in time. But the headline is, love God. Love him. We're going to spend a little over two months in this book, and it's Moses preaching his heart out. Actually, it's three sermons, Moses preaching his heart out. Someone said the other day, it actually is one long sermon, but Moses, because he's a little bit old, he sort of takes a breather now and then. Um, so it's sort of one long sermon, but broken up into three parts. It's really a call to love God. You were made to love him. You were made to love him with all you've got. He's so good. You need him. He's a God who never breaks his promises. Love him. Choose to love him today and tomorrow and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and forevermore. Love him. Make that choice every day. The simple pattern in Deuteronomy basically is, if you remember what God has done for you in the past, you'll trust his promises for the future so you will obey him in the present. That's the pattern of Deuteronomy. Remember what God has done for you in the past. Trust his promises for the future. You'll obey and serve and love him in the present. You'll walk in his ways, trusting him. Love him. Where are we Biblically, we are, where are we in the story of the Bible? Um, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible um, and we're carrying on the story of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. So back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God gives, read that later, but Genesis chapter 12, God gives um, wonderful promises to Abraham and to his descendants, four big promises. They're massive. I'll give you, he says, a huge number of descendants. More descendants than you, the stars are in the sky, we're told. I'll bless you with my presence among you. That's the second promise. Then he says, thirdly, you'll be a blessing to all the peoples and nations around you, and I'll give you a promised land, fourthly, to live in. Four big promises. You'll be a people, a big people. I'll bless you. You'll be a blessing to all the nations around you, and I'll give you a promised land. 
Here in Deuteronomy, the people of God are on the fringes of the promised land and Moses, right, this old centurion, about 120 years old, on his last legs, he has one more sermon to preach and it is Israel, choose life. Choose God, love God. And really chapters one to three, which we're looking at today, are really like an overture of the whole book of Deuteronomy. Asking as he does throughout the whole book, which way are you going to go? Which path are you going to choose? Love, trust, obedience and service of God, living for him? Or are you going to go on trusting, well not trusting in him, not obeying, not loving him? Moses throws that question out from the beginning. Really, chapters one to three are a history lesson today. Who likes history? Me and two others. Yeah, there you go. Um, that's what we're going to look at today. It's, it's really a history lesson. Let's review how it's gone before. That's pretty much what it is. So have a look with me. Right at the beginning of, Je- of Deuteronomy, uh, fifth book of the Bible, come back with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter one, verses one to two. It's going to start with a bit of like optimism and pessimism. That's where we kind of start. Um, So have a look with me, Uh, chapter one, verse one. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dizab. Um, It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Benea by the Mount Seir Road. Well done for reading those, by the way, Ruth. Good job, good job. I'm just gonna give Ruth all the hard passages from now on, right? There we go. Um, Here's a map, right, here's a map which you cannot see, yeah? There you go. Um, so on your, around, the, around your seats, there's a, copies of this map. Um, just to give you a really quick snapshot of, of where we are. So God's people were in Egypt, uh, enslaved, oppressed by Pharaoh. God then um, re, you know, saved them, rescued them from Egypt and takes them to Mount Sinai or Horeb, which is down on the Sinai Peninsula, down the bottom of the map. Um, Horeb's the region, Sinai is actually probably the place, the actual mountain. Takes 11 days to walk from Mount Horeb or Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, right? 11 days. But it's taken them 40 years. An 11 day journey over 40 years because 40 years earlier they really stuffed things up. They'd been at Kadesh Barnea. They should have just gone north, walked up, you know, a few extra days into the promised land. But they've gone around and around and around and around for 40 years. It's not gone well. Now they're in Moab, sort of up the top right there next to the the Red Sea, or the Dead Sea, sorry. As we read in a moment, they're in the region of Bashan. They've just killed King Og. They're just about to cross the Jordan into Jericho and into Canaan. There you go. 40 years. 40 years. 11 days turned into 40 years. Now, I'm not the best. I'm not terrible, but I'm not the greatest navigator in the world. But Google Maps really helps me out, right, when I'm in trouble. 40 years should have taken 11 days. It went wrong in the past. So there's this sort of sense of pessimism, right? But we see in verse four, Moses gives them this sermon after they've defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. So look, there's a picture that things hadn't gone well, a bit of pessimism, 40 years for an 11 day walk, that's bad. But you've also known some victories. But the call of what they're meant to do is found in chapter one, verse 
8. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 8. Moses says, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give you to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. God says, I have promised you this land. Now just go up and go in and take it. That's just an act of faith, right? I've given it to you. You just got to come and like take the apple out of my hands. Choose to trust and obey me. And the rest of these chapters are like a history lesson about how things went in the past. Let me try and explain it like this. Moses says, there was failure in the past when you disobeyed God, but there is hope when you trust him. That's the summary today. That's the two points. There's failure when you disobeyed God, but there is hope when you trust him. We'll spend most of our time, I think, today in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, but my first point, right? Here it comes. There was failure in the past. Oh, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, we go. There was failure in the past when you disobeyed God. Um, pick it up with me. We're going to jump to verse 19. Pick it up with me. This is what happened 40 years earlier than where we are at the moment. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Benea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it. As the Lord, the God of our ancestors, told you, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. Right. Moses says, go up. Don't fear. Don't panic. The land has been promised to you. It's yours. Reach out. Take it. And before they did, right, the Israelites decided, as we read, to send some spies ahead. You can read about that in Numbers 15, 16 later. This all sounded like a really good idea. Verse 24, though. Uh, verse 23, the idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking there with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is good land that the Lord our God is giving to us. It is good land that the Lord our God is giving to us. It's good and it's a gift. That's a nice combination, isn't it? It's good and it's a gift. When someone comes up to you with a good thing and says, I am giving it to you, what do you normally say? Well, thank you very much. That's very nice. I remember when I, was a, when I was a student studying physiotherapy at Sydney Uni, one Easter time, our Christian group decided to give out the most delicious, hot, butter-covered, filled, hot cross buns at Easter to desperately hungry university students. Right? We were desperately hungry. We wanted to eat them all, but we thought, no, we're Christians. We'll give them out. So we had all these hot cross buns, one of the best places in Sydney where you can get them. We, like, we, couldn't, we couldn't give them away. We sort of like, here's a hot cross bun, melted butter, warm. You haven't eaten for days because you're a poor uni student. People go, no, thanks. Like, what is wrong? So we had so many hot cross buns to eat. A few people did eat them. But here's Israel, right? It's a gift and it's good. The spies, they say it's good land, it's a gift. Israel, stuff it up in two ways. 
First, verses 26 to 33, they say, we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust that he's going to fight for us. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. Wow. It's quite quite a thing to say, isn't it? God says, I'm giving you this land and it's great. It's incredibly fertile. You're going to flourish there. And the people say, God hates us. I don't want this gift. You notice how it starts out with grumbling and murmuring, verse 27? I don't know about you, that's how it starts with me. Grumbling on my own. And I grumble, murmur with someone else. The Lord hates us. Wow. The Lord who spared us from judgment, parted the Red Sea, rescued us from slavery and oppression in Egypt, provided us with food and water all the way through the desert, who spoke to us, gave his law to us at Sinai. Wow. He hates us. It's really three things that completely throw them. Verse 28, God says it's a good land, I'm giving it to as a gift, but have a look at the second half of verse 28. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Now pause, right, the Anakites were massive people. They were giants. It's like, I don't know, being a 10-year-old schoolboy on a rugby team and you get wheeled out and you're facing the first 15 of the New Zealand All Blacks, right? Massive dudes. It's the All Blacks and they're doing the harker in front of us, you know? That's the sense. When I worked at a church in Sydney, actually, there was a woman in my congregation who was petite, polite, five foot two, lovely, and her name was Anna Kite. Ha! Whenever the word Anakite came up in the Bible reading, we'd get her on the roster and she would have to read. She was the least intimidating person I've ever met in my life, you can imagine. But the Anakites, they were giants. What is this? God said, go up and take the land, but the people are bigger and taller than us. The cities, have you seen them? The walls are up to the skies and the Anakites are there. Moses replies and says, let me tell you three things. Verse 29, verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. Then you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached the place. God is with you. He'll fight for you. He will care for you. You've seen this before in Egypt. You've seen it in the wilderness. You've seen how the Lord carried you, verse 31, as a father, as a dad carries his own son. Why would you be scared? God's with you. He fights for you. He cares for you. He'll carry you like a dad carries his kid. Verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. 
the Lord God who has completely looked after you but you didn't trust in him. They had every reason to trust in the Lord but they forgot who their God was. They had every reason to trust him but they forgot how good he was. They had every reason to trust him but they forgot how powerful he was. Israel was terrified because they'd forgotten who their God was. And when you remember who he is and the power that he has, that he is your father who cares for you like a dad, his child, then you're okay. And for you and me, right, it's very easy to forget, isn't it, who our heavenly father is, who our God is. The question comes, doesn't it? Here's the question. How can I trust God with this problem in my life? How can I trust God in this scenario, in this situation? How can I trust him? How can I trust him when I'm facing, you know, not the Anakites, maybe not big walled cities, but how can I trust him when I'm facing bullying at work, unemployment, Financial uncertainty, when you're utterly exhausted, when you're wrestling with an addiction, how can I trust him when I'm desperately lonely? How can I trust him in this scenario and keep obeying him and keep being faithful and love him when dot, dot, dot? Well, the answer is you need to know who God is, who your heavenly father is, that he's with you, that he's for you, that he cares for you, and that he carries you. You need to know that. We need to know that if we're going to love and trust and serve and obey him. It's very easy to grumble in our tents. tents. Don't forget who your God is. He's with you, he's for you, he cares for you. He carries you as a father carries his son. Such a lovely picture. He says, I'll carry you, you can trust me. doesn't matter what the Anakites are like in front of you, you can trust me. We have every reason to trust him. Israel didn't trust him. That was their first mistake. We don't trust the Lord to fight for us. And the result is, verse 33 to 40, the Lord says, well, away you go. This is 40 years earlier, and the Lord said to that people, go, I abandon you to the wilderness. Have a look, chapter 1, verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land to set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. In verse 39, see what happens. And the little ones that you said will be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the, to the Red Sea. It's like an anti-exodus. Back to Egypt you go. And so the whole generation had, that had left Egypt in the Exodus had seen all the mighty wonders and miracles and acts of the living God. They all perished in the wilderness. And now 40 years later, Moses is saying to the new generation, Are you going to trust him or not? Are you going to love him? 
And he keeps saying, I don't know if you noticed that, he keeps saying, you know, you did this, you were there, you rebelled. It's actually not them, right? It's the new generation, but like they are from their families, right? You are the same people as them. Of course you weren't there, but you kind of were there in that sense because they were your parents and your family. They didn't trust the Lord to fight for them. The second mistake is, right, verse 41 to 46, is we expect the Lord to fight for us. We don't think he's going to fight for us, but then they say we expect that he will fight for us. God says you'll never enter the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 41. Then you replied, oh, we've sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons thinking it's easy to go up into the hill country. Oh, whoopsies. We got it wrong, God. You said go up. We said, no, 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 they're too scary. You said, I am with you. I'll care for you. I'll help you. But we said, we don't trust you. And you said, well, you're going to die in the wilderness. We don't like that very much. So, okay, we'll obey you. Sorry, can we just pretend nothing happened? It's a sense. And God says, verse 42, no. The Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. And verse 43, they ignore the Lord. So I told you what, the God had, what God had said. And see how the language is piled up here. But you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. Do you see the rebellion? Oh, God will forgive us. I know he's saying, you know, don't do it, but we'll do it. He'll, he'll forgive. But it's superficial repentance here and so there's disaster. Verse 44, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. Because you see, what the Lord wants is repentance, not the tears of his people. He wants obedience, not superficial obedience, repentance. Not even tears, but obedience in light of all that he's done for them. In light of what the Lord has done for us, he calls for obedience from his people. Grace transformed lives, worthy of our calling and adoption into his family. So my first point there, there was failure when you disobeyed God. But as it is throughout the book of Deuteronomy, right, amidst the failure, there's always hope as we pivot to the second point and more brief this morning. Point two, there is hope when you trusted God. Uh, Let's pick it up from the end of chapter one, verse 46. We're told, and so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there, and indeed it was many days, right? You could say that 13,880 days is many days, wandering around the wilderness. But then chapter 2, verse 1, everything changes. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are dominated by movement, right? Whereas chapter 1 is dominated by going around and around and around and around in circles. Chapters 2 and 3, kind of you get this movement, this put a forward moving, it's great. Chapter 2, verse 1, then we turn back and set out towards the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. There's progress here. The question is, why? Why is there progress? Because the Lord had promised them all along that they would enter the promised land. They would enter. 
So chapter 2, verse 7, even in the wilderness, even in the 38 years of wandering, chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you've not lacked anything because he's promised that they would make it to the promised land. Now, the first half of chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 23, um, is all about how even their half-brothers, when they obey God, get to conquer giants. They get to defeat the Anakites. You, pretty cool. We're not going to look at that in detail. But what about you, he says? Your conquest began and it's, it's going okay. Pick it up with me at verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24. Set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I have given you into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish before you. I mean, basically he just says, crack on, go up. See again, you know, I have given you this land. Just trust me. And so in chapter 2, they conquer Sihon, king of Heshbon. We won't look at that in detail. But you notice also in chapter chapter 3, they defeat Og, king of Bashan. Uh, This is the children of those who rebelled, right? So this is the current and the new generation. Pick it up with me at chapter 3, verse 3. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, needing no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60, 60 cities that we did not take from them, from the whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls and gates and bars, and there were also great many unwalled villages. We completely destroyed them. Now, without going into detail, chapter 1 Go up, says the Lord, conquer the promised land. But the cities are big, their walls are huge, and the Anakites are there. Chapter 3, oh yeah, we conquered it all. Yeah, God was with us. We really can trust him, even the giants. And check out with me, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, the size of King Og's bed. Right? Check out King Og's bed. Deuteronomy 3, verse 11. I love this detail. Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It's a big bed, right? We're talking two metres by four metres. And, and you can still go and check it out, we're told. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. That's, I mean, that's just a big bed, right? It's a big bed. You've got to be some kind of giant to have a bed like that. I don't know. This is how beds work as far as I know, right? You've got single, you've got king single, you've got double, you've got queen, you've got king, then you've got super king. Imagine going into like 40 winks or fantastic furniture and saying, I'd like an og-sized bed, please. They look at you and go, what? Yeah, it's like two metres by four metres. Who's it for? It's for me, yeah, like it's, it's huge. The dude is massive. Um, one, one writer, one commentator says, Og represented a terrifying threat, that by the editor's day he was a long vanquished figure of the misty past, leaving only his bed behind as a solitary relic. They've conquered the cities, 
even with walls up to the skies and giants who are enormous. They've conquered just like they could have done 40 years earlier. My point is, if they trust in the Lord, there is hope and things will go well. There's hope and they'll arrive and inherit all that God has promised them. I won't go through them all, but over and over again in these chapters, we hear the Lord saying, I've given you this land, I've given you this land, I've given you this land, I've given you this land. Of course, they need his promise to be with them, right? So chapter three, verse two, do not be afraid, I have delivered. But the reality is, if they trust God's promises, they'll keep his commands. And they have every reason to trust his promises because he never fails to deliver on any of them. They've seen so many promises fulfilled. They know it'll all work out. Earlier this year, um, we were holidaying on the Gold Coast. And as you do on the Gold Coast, right, you go to the theme parks. And so this year, we, one of the theme parks we went to was Wet n Wild. Anyone been to Wet n Wild? Yeah, a few nods. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. Um, we went to a, one of the other water parks there a couple of years ago, and um, I was too chicken a couple of years ago when we first went to one of these parks to go on that thing like the Aqua Loop. You know that thing that where you sort of you jump onto a platform in this tube, and you hear this like three two, one, boom, and the floor drops out of you and you go flying down and then do this loop and if you survive, you end up at the other end, right? Um, it was getting late in the day. Uh, we were at Wet n Wild and I was, like, I, was, like, I was trying to gird my loins and finally go on the aqua loop. Um, and so I thought, yep, I'm going to do it. So I'm in the line, I'm waiting, and then it's getting close to park shutting time and... So ten, I'm, li- I'm lining up like half going, please don't, please like ring the bell, say shut down, don't have to go. And of course, you know, this person comes over and goes, all right, you, you ten, you can go. And I was the tenth person. I was like, damn it, damn it. All right, right, I've got to do this. So I'm there with my back, my things strapped on. I'm climbing up, I'm climbing up. And you know, then this, there was this French guy running the ride and he's standing there and he goes, okay, everybody gather around. This is the last one for the day. Um, who would like to go first? And I'm like, the, I'm the old guy there. There's all these like courageous teenagers behind me. And all, I'm like, who would like to go first? And I'm like, down like this, or, you know. And he, where's, the, where's the exit, you know, like. And I'm all of a sudden, you know, then this, this, other, this guy goes, yeah, I'll go, you know. And the guy goes, gets him in and he goes, Three, two, one, allez! And he's gone. And I'm like, did he die? Like, you know? And then you hear this, yeah, he's safe, you can send the next one. And I'm like, okay. So, so I'm, like, I'm like walking this way. Like, and all of a sudden, right, next one, allez! Yeah, he's all right, next one. Vroom, vroom, you know, allez, allez, allez! And then, and then he goes, your turn. I'm like, I went last because I wanted to make sure everyone else was okay, right? That's, that was my job. By that stage, everyone had survived. It had gone really well. I can't say that I jumped in going, woohoo, boom, down I went. I'm here to tell the tale, right? It was fine. The people running the show, the whole operation, they knew what they were doing. If you're a Christian, you've seen the Lord keep so many of his promises. 
All his promises that he made to his people of old in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. His promises in the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, many promises kept. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. In Jesus, all God's promises find their yes and amen. The greatest promise of all that God would send a a human being born of a woman to come into the world to crush sin and evil once and for all and to re-establish our relationship with God that we would live forever. That person has come into the world. Jesus has come. The one promised to deal with sin, to crush evil and to destroy all that, that we would live together forever with God that has been made. God himself came into the world, died for our sins, all of our failures and he's risen from the grave and he's coming back. That's the promise that's yet to come. The next great event, I keep saying this, the next great event in world history is not the next Olympic Games. It's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to make all things new and to take us to be with him and enjoy him forever. That's the promise. I find great power in that promise. He's kept all his promises. And so we can trust him in the here and now. So when God says, obey me in the here and now, because that's the best thing for you to do as one of my people, we can trust him and know that he keeps his promises. Israel lived with optimism and pessimism in the Old Testament, particularly we see it in the book of Old, in Deuteronomy. The difference for Christians is that we should be hopeful people, optimistic people. Because unlike Israel who failed to trust God and were punished and sent into the wilderness again and again, if you're a Christian here today, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, he was abandoned into the wilderness so that you and I can be with him and go to the promised land in heaven. Let's be a people who are hopeful and optimistic. Let me close with this. I was walking with one of my kids the other day who were probably talking about Nintendo Switches, if we were going to get a chocolate macaron at Marathi, I don't know, all those sort of you know, normal things. And then all of a sudden, one of my kids just said, hey, Dad, I'm a little bit uncertain about this heaven thing. I'm a bit scared of what heaven might be like. And at that moment, I'm sort of going through my catalogue of books that I've read and you know, lectures that I had at Moore College that would answer this question specifically. How do I counsel someone who is young about the future hope that we have? I'm a bit scared, Dad. And I said to him, you don't need to be scared. We may not know everything about the new creation. We may not know everything about heaven, but we know for certain it's going to be wonderful. We know it's going to be extraordinary. And in that place, there will be nothing to fear. The Lord loves you. He cares for you. He will carry you all the way to the promised land. Trust him. Trust him today. Trust him tomorrow.
and Tuesday and Wednesday. He keeps his promises. We can trust him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we often forget who you are. We often forget how good you are, that you're with us, that you're for us, that you carry us, that you care for us. And Father, because we forget these things, we we often struggle to obey you, Father. So Father, would those of us here this morning who are followers of Jesus, would we know clearly your goodness? That you care for us like a father cares for his child. That you're on our side. And even in our failures, Father, we can trust that because of the work of Christ, you'll carry us safely to the promised land of heaven. Father, knowing this, knowing your goodness, knowing that none of your promises have ever failed, help us to obey you, to listen to you, to serve you, and to love you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.